Okay, so today um, is, we're on that road now to uh, Advent. We just finished Thanksgiving. And what's happening, if you notice the flow, we're going to move from Ad, from Thanksgiving into Advent, which starts next Sunday, where we begin the preparation for Christmas. Then we get through Christmas Eve and Christmas, and it doesn't take very much, and we're right into Lent, heading toward the cross. And this is that time of year that is it's very powerful. It's very powerful in our lives of your friends, your neighbors. Be mindful of them. You will say this several different times, but this is one of those times, Christmas Eve especially, when you can go to your friend or your neighbor and you can say, I don't know if you have a place to worship on Christmas Eve, but we'd like to invite you to come to our church. And people will come for whatever reason on Christmas Eve and Easter. They'll come when they won't come any other time. It's a chance to talk to them about the Lord. So we're right in the middle of that flow. And what we don't want to do is lose it, lose that, that focus like Black Friday. Okay? Enjoy Black Friday. Take advantage of all the stuff, the sales that are on. I have no problem with that. But Satan's greatest weapon is what uh, you've heard me refer to. I didn't get this phrase. I got it from others. Uh, Weapons of mass distraction. It's so easy to get into the mode of Thanksgiving and immediately get distracted. Isn't it? And what we want to do as a church is keep our focus through all of this time. So what we're going to talk about today is Advent. Why do we do Advent? And what can you do to prepare? And what can we do as a church to prepare? To kind of set the stage. How many of you come from traditions that celebrated Advent in church? In your churches? Let me see. It's usually about half since we're a community church. Okay, Most of you, uh, if you came from a, a high church environment or a liturgical church, you probably celebrated it. And so what we want to do is talk about what's the purpose of that because a ritual done well has one effect and a ritual done poorly has a different effect. And we really want to talk through with you how that works. So let's begin with the question, what is Advent? What is it? Well, simply put, it's the appearing of Christ. That's what it means. The appearing of Christ. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a human and lived life on the earth. The appearing of Christ. There are two advents. The first says past. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And the second one is we are waiting for. We are waiting for the Lord to come back. Does Advent involve rituals? Uh, Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Um, You've all... I think several of you have been where we have a candle, an Advent candle. We often have a family come up here or something like that. We light a candle and we read a devotion together as a church. So depending on your tradition, Advent has different sets of rituals. But I would like to suggest to you that it's much more than that. It's much more than a ritual. It's actually an attitude. Advent was set, set aside in the church calendar appropriately to prepare us for the coming of the Messiah, for the coming of Jesus, for the coming of the baby. But it's more than a set of rituals. It's an actual attitude that is supposed to be developed during this time. It's an attitude of expectation or eagerness. We long for the time when the Lord comes back. We should long for the time when the Lord comes back. Honestly, in our culture today, we're going to talk about this in a minute, it's very difficult for us to be eager in our expectation of the Lord's return. That's a very difficult thing to do. Um, For a variety of reasons, largely because life is pretty good for us. And so it's it's hard to be dependent on the Lord when life is pretty good. 
And I'm not complaining about that. I love my country. I love where I am. I love our county. I love our church. But even I have to remember to stay focused on who the Lord is. I'm going to start the discussion with a passage in 1 Corinthians. It's a passage that's familiar to all of you. You're just wondering what it has. 1 Corinthians 13 is a famous passage on love. Uh, you've probably heard it read at weddings and things like that. It talks about what, what true love in the Lord is really all about. Uh, very difficult for us to live it out, but yet it gives us a picture, a model, if you will. Then he moves on beyond that. Then he says in verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became an adult, I put, away, uh, put the ways of childhood behind me. So he's talking about here, I think, in the context of the church, the church as it matures, what do we begin to experience? And it's his very next verse that I want to focus on. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I, as I am fully known. So now we see in a reflection as in a mirror. The old King James says we see in a dark, we see through a glass darkly. And um, the reason why the dark is part of there is part of that word is um, in Corinth, they were known for producing these mirrors that were very dark. Mirrors in the ancient world aren't like the mirrors today. You can walk up to a mirror today and see with precision who you are. Very difficult to do in the ancient world for the common person because mirrors were, they had distortions to them and things like that. What he's saying here is that right now at this time of life, when life is broken, we live in a broken world, we are only getting a glimpse, just a glimpse of eternity. It's just a glimpse. I think about the challenge that God has. By the way, God loves challenges. Uh, that's one of the things I love about him. Is that we live in a world where we're created for three dimensions and five senses. Right? Uh, pause. Every year during Advent, we let the children's ministry kind of pick the theme because we want our children involved. So this year, in fact, you may remember uh, last year or the year before last, we did uh, the geography of the land. We talked about uh, the various places that Jesus went. So this year, it's the five senses. What does Christmas look like? What does Christmas feel like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? And you're going to see the children involved in that each week as we answer those questions. What does Christmas look like? So we are made to live in a world with three dimensions and five senses, but yet God has called us to fight a battle and to exist in another realm, true spiritual reality, which we can't see. We simply can't see it. And so these rituals that we put together as a church become very, very important during this process because we know that we, can, we can't see very accurately what's coming. We can't. Uh, most of you know uh, Julie Andrews, our children's director. Uh, her and her husband Mitch and their family went back to Missouri for Thanksgiving. They, were, they left Friday to get after Thanksgiving to go back and be with the family. Well, his grandfather died on Thanksgiving unexpectedly. And um, how do we make sense of that? We're not wired for that. This is a grandfather that was very instrumental in developing his faith. He was a debt of gratitude, a World War II vet, and died unexpectedly. So they're back there now, loving the family and kind of processing through all that. We see dimly. We, we're looking in a mirror that doesn't reflect very well. 
And so when we build hope, if we're not careful, we build it along theoretical, conceptual lines, and we build it along lines of rituals. So for many people, what happens here with the candle, or if it's over there, wherever it is, the candle, that gives you a sense of joy, but that's not enough. That's not enough. It really deflects away from what Advent is all about or whatever ritual it is we're trying to see. A ritual is nothing more than a signpost. It should point us to some greater, deeper reality. And I'm going to argue that that's, um, that's what Advent is all about, is to point us to something that many of us don't think about often. A ritual done well or a tradition gives us a glimpse of reality. Whether it's a dark glass, it shatters or becomes clear. Now we can see the truth. Whether it's a mirror that is distorted, what a good tradition does is it makes it just for a moment clear so we can see briefly, capture a glimpse of what true spirituality is like. That's what a tradition should do. A tradition should not focus you on the candles. A tradition should focus you on the Lord Jesus. The Advent tradition. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now you'll notice throughout the Christmas season, the Advent season, the ladies that do our decorations, and it is ladies, you don't want us doing it. Um, we're not very good at it, Mark and me. But they are magicians. And what happens if you pay attention is that the sanctuary slowly begins to change as they add pieces here and there throughout the tradition. And that's a journey. I love it. Every church I've been in before this, they decorate after Thanksgiving, we're done. But that's not the way they do it here. They build on, and you're going to see things appearing over time up front. And if you just pay attention, you'll see Christmas beginning to emerge. It's a journey. And that's what Advent is all about, is that it, it is a, a glimpse of what's coming. Um, it also gives us a glimpse of what we were created for. There's a reason why you enjoy Christmas and Thanksgiving. This is what you're created for. We're not created for brokenness. We're not created for the political divide that we see happening, the arguing back and forth. Um, we're not created for that. Um, as many of you know, I was gone last week. Mark and I were. We were gone to theological conferences. And uh, eight days. I was there all eight days. Mark was there for half of it. And uh, four different societies that I belonged to. And I heard papers read on theology all day long for, for eight days. I know that you want to do that. You want to come with me for that, don't you? Next year. <laughs> so, um, and I was astounded at the, the, the growing number of arguments that are more political in nature, more polemic, agenda-driven. And uh, it, was, it was distasteful to me because as Christians, that's not what we're about at all. We're about grace. We're about gentleness. Oh, we are about debates. I love a good debate. Don't, don't get me wrong. You want a debate, you got the guy right here. Yeah, that's right. We've had many of them, haven't we? <laughs> and so I love good debates, but that's not the same as this. Not the same as fighting. We're not wired for this. We're not built for this. And so when we do our traditions well, we taste something that we really long for. We long for genuineness, authenticity, love, hope. 
Why would your neighbors come to Christmas Eve service? Why would they come? Because there's an emptiness and they have a desire for something better. That's why. And Christmas is one of those times when we do a pretty good job of, of, of getting that message out. You never have to worry about inviting your neighbors and friends. You can invite them all. And many of them will come. So our decorations and as we prepare and walk through Advent, they're preparing us for Christmas so we understand the reality of what's happening. But they're also exposing something in us that we desire. How many of you love the decorated sanctuary during the Christmas time? All of you, right? If you don't, we should have a talk. (laughs) It, It exposes something in us that we're wired for. We're wired to experience joy and laughter and all those things. And so that's why we do it. Okay. So what about Advent? Let's talk about Advent. I'm going to read you just a little section out of Luke 2. Luke 2 is the the famous birth narrative of Jesus. You're all familiar with it. Luke chapter 2. This is where the shepherds all come down, all that sort of thing. But now... Uh, right uh, on the eighth day, Luke two twenty one, when it was time to circumcise a child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. That was the requirement of the law, presenting to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. That's a quote out of Exodus. Excuse me. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Okay, pause for just a second. I want you to understand the the background right now to that statement. Uh, for 400 years, the Lord had been silent. The What we call the Old Testament had ended. All right? It ended with um, the, the northern kingdom had been annihilated completely because of their rebellion and sin against the Lord. The southern kingdom, after that, uh, God destroyed the temple. Uh, they sacked the Babylonians, sacked Jerusalem, and they scattered the southern kingdom, the two tribes, all around the world, the known world at that time. Okay, then after several decades, God brought them back together again. So they were in exile because of their sin. Every prophet said that. That's why you're going into exile. And we've looked at, in Ezekiel, the, the picture of the temple, the glory, leaving the temple, the glory of God. It rose and it started to cross the river and it paused and looked back at the temple. To me, that's a very uh, powerful verse. Uh, just glimpsing, leaving home packing your bags and leaving. And the glory departed from the temple. That's how they knew that they were in sin. That was the reason they were sent into exile, because of that. They knew that in order for the exile to end, their sin had to be forgiven. So a few decades later, God brought them all back together. They rebuilt the walls. Uh, Nehemiah, Ezra rebuilt the temple. Uh, scholars call that from that time on the second temple period. Scholars are pretty creative, and so they 
figured if it's the second temple, we should call it the second temple period. And so if you're reading in literature and they talk about the second temple period, you have Solomon's temple, and then you have the destruction, and then you have the second temple. You with me so far? Okay, they rebuilt the second temple. The Lord is now silent for 400 years, but the glory of the Lord never came back. The glory of the Lord never returned to the temple. And so they knew, but God is silent. This is the background for Simeon. You see, their very survival was dependent on the first advent, what we look back on as Christmas. Their very survival as a nation. They were an oppressed nation. They were under Roman occupation, treated very poorly. And uh, they knew the promises that God was going to bring life through them and in them. And that hadn't happened. And so they were waiting They were waiting eagerly for the Lord, the Messiah, to come. You understand? We don't have that situation today, so it's very easy for us to get distracted, isn't it? It's very easy for us to get distracted. When the reality is, we're in the same situation. Oh yes, we have enjoyed the redemption of the cross, but the redemption of all of creation is still in front of us. And so if we are thinking clearly, then we should be yearning for the return of the Lord. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because he's going to fix all that's broken the second time around. That should be our earnest desire. Instead, what the world does is we find very glamorous ways to hide the the darkness and the brokenness. Black Friday. Walk into any mall. Christmas is grand. Lights, music, smells, right? It's designed to engage all of your senses. And so we have this feeling like life is pretty good. And it is pretty good. I'm not criticizing it. Life is pretty good. It's only a problem if it distracts us from the reality of the brokenness that most of the people in the world, including your friends, don't really feel that sense of goodness. There's a reason why the uh, suicide rate jumps at this time of year and after Christmas, New Year's. There's a reason for that. It's an illusion. And so as long as we are distracted by that illusion, then we no longer feel the eagerness that Simeon felt. But when we grasp the reality of you talk to your friends and their marriages are mediocre or they're broken, things are going on that they weren't made for, inside their families, then you begin to sense, Lord, when are you coming back? That's the expectation, the eagerness that Advent should produce in us. So let's finish the story of Simeon. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God. And here's what he said. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I can't imagine what that's like. To wait your entire life for the advent of the Messiah. And then you're holding him. In your arms. 
You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. Here's the surprise in Jewish theology. He got it. God sent the Messiah for all the nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's us. That's us right here. We're the recipients of that. And Simeon is praising God and he concludes, and the glory of your people Israel. You see, the glory of the Lord did return in the person of Jesus. So when Jesus is standing in the temple, the glory has come back. And then when the Holy Spirit came and brought the fullness of the glory, it came back to the temple. It's just now the spiritual temple, us. The exile ended. That's what the first advent taught us. So, He was eagerly expecting it. All of his hope was dependent on the coming Messiah. This is what it means to wait for Advent. To be eager. That's what it means. We don't like candles to make you feel good. That's not the reason we like candles. Oh, we want you to feel good. But that's not the reason. We like candles to give us a constant reminder that we are eagerly awaiting a Savior. Jesus. Don't be fooled by what you see. It's an illusion. And nobody knows that better than your neighbors and your friends. That's why this is a great time to invite them to Christmas Eve worship service. Because they intuitively know it's not there. You don't have a single neighbor that says, you're looking at perfection. Here it is. No. Not a single neighbor. They all know there's something better and they don't have it. They just don't know what it is. Okay, so I wrote down some passages on eagerness. I want you to get a sense of what the church should look like when it comes to this idea of being eager. I'm just going to read them to you. Don't try to keep up. You won't be able to. Luke 22. He said to them, this is Jesus, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. His last Passover. I've eagerly desired it. Why? He's about to die right after this, within a few hours. I've eagerly desired it. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Because he knows what he's bringing to the world. And he's eager to share it with them. Acts 17. Now Paul, uh, Paul had already been mistreated in the last city, so he goes to Berea. He'd already been beat up, so he goes to a new city. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day <coughs> to see if what Paul said was true. Do you, do you have that eagerness, to that hunger, as Peter says, to, to long for the pure milk of the word? Or do you get distracted easily? Uh, granted, this is not an easy book to read. It's very complicated. That's why you pay me and Mark, or Mark and me. Let me get my grammar correct. That's why you pay Mark and me, is because we love to spend hours of our week studying this so we can explain it to you. You don't need us. You can do all the same work we do. Hopefully, we're creating within you a hunger and eagerness to know more about this. Romans 8. First part of Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now think about that. Whatever you're going through is insignificant compared to the eternal weight of glory. For the creation, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You know what? 
the, the creation is eagerly awaiting the advent just as well. We're waiting for Jesus to come fix things. They're waiting for us to get our act together. Okay? That's what the next verse says in Romans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We're waiting for the Lord to come back to fix everything and we finally, finally relax. How many of you know Merle Wilhite? Some of you have been around a while. When Merle was in the final days of his life, I visited him several times down in the ICU. And I asked him just a couple days before the end, Merle, what's it like? He's in his 80s. What's it like for you? Teach me. Make me a better pastor. And he goes, I made it. I won't ever forget that. I said, what do you mean you made it? And he goes, I was faithful. I didn't lose my faith. I was faithful to my wife. I made it. And soon, I'll get to rest. That's eagerness. That's eagerness. When we look forward to the Lord, all this brokenness and tension is gone. And we rest. Yes. And creation is waiting for us to get our act together so they can enjoy redemption as well. Because the best part of the gospel, God desires to redeem all of creation. All of it. We don't often think about that, do we? But that's the world we live in. 1 Corinthians 1, the very beginning of the book on 1 Corinthians. Here's a church that's divided, fractured, hostile. They're sinning against each other. It's a messy church. It's kind of like ours. No, no, I'm just kidding. Here's a church that's really divided in really harsh ways. And Paul starts with grace. He didn't start with condemnation or judgment. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. What good words to give to a fractured church. Filled with hostility. For in him you have been enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait. For our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. That's Advent. To appear again. It's a mess. And we can't wait for the Lord to come back. That's what he's saying. 2 Corinthians 9, the famous verse on, on um, to give, to be generous in your giving. Yeah, be generous when you give, by the way. Give more. Whatever you give, just double it and we'll all be happy. Okay? 2 Corinthians 9, you're supposed to laugh at that. Ah, okay. <laughs> there is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people because they were helping other churches. That's why they were giving sacrificially. For I know of your eagerness to help. Do we have that eagerness? Is that how we think as a church when we, when we give uh, to benevolence? You know, we gave $58,000 to the benevolence fund to poor people last year. Uh, there's only a few people that gave that made that happen. Do we have that sense of, yeah, we want to help. Yes, we want to be good partners. Yes, we want to. I've been criticized by some of the other pastors because of what we do with the, with the uh, town of Dillon here because we bring Santa Claus in. I've actually had two different pastors ask me, why on earth would you bring Santa Claus into your church? And you know what I said? Because I got 600 people here that wouldn't come any other way. Is it worth it to me? Absolutely it is. I'll play their game every day of the week if that's what it takes to introduce them to what a Christian is all about.
Galatians 5, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. That sense of judgment. Righteousness, judgment, is the same idea. We all know. True justice isn't here, is it? It's not here. True justice. Just read the papers. No, don't read the papers. You'll get depressed. But we know it's not happening around us. It's going to happen. When the Lord comes back, true justice. And we will all enjoy it. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, do you sense this eagerness here? This is what we should be developing as a church. This is what we should be cultivating. Okay, let me say a word about traditions both at the church level and at the individual level. If you do not have a tradition for Advent, let me encourage you to start one. Let me encourage you to start one. Don't be satisfied with lighting a candle. We're not trying to make you feel better. We're trying to make you feel hopeful. Those are two very different things. Start a tradition. It could be as complex or as simple as you want it to be. Um, As we live out our traditions at home, spiritual reality just briefly comes into our purview and we can see it. But not only that, we begin to feel hope because Christ comes to us in very real ways. He comes to us in very real ways. And doing it once once a week on Sunday is not enough. If you really want to prepare and enjoy the season of Advent, take some time and do it. In our family, we did Sunday was our big day. I'm going to read a little bit out of the story. Just so we read a story to our kids for decades, you know, over 20 years, and we had an Advent wreath. And then during the week, we'd light the candle, we'd read a simple devotion, we'd pray, and we're done. Five to ten minutes, and we're done. But it but it refocuses us every day, and it recalibrates us, and begins to build that sense of expectation and hope that the Lord really is coming back. He really is. So don't be satisfied with lighting a candle. Develop a tradition that generates hope. Do something. It doesn't have to be complex. You see, our traditions should not shield us from the faith. And if all we do by lighting a candle is making you feel better about yourself, we just shielded you from the faith and we just committed a major atrocity. Our traditions should generate hope. We've accomplished our goal if you walk out feeling more hopeful each time you come together. When we do our traditions well, they don't shield us from the truth. They propel us forward to reality, the reality of Christ. That's what they do. You understand? All right, one of the stories we read... By the way, we've got tons of resources up here. Everything you see up here is out there on the book table. We have uh, Max Lucado, A Love Worth Giving. Um, we have 25 Days of Advent, God's Blessings by Billy Graham, Advent and Christmas. We have a Nativity Sticker Activity Book for children. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We've tried to cover every age group that we have here. And you can think, this is one of the things that we read. How many of you have read the best Christmas pageant ever? Oh, oh, what a shame. There's only 12 of you. All I had to do was start the first sentence and my kids would die laughing. 
The Herbins were absolutely the worst kids in the history of the world. If that doesn't hook you, something's wrong. They lied and they stole and they smoked cigars, even the girls. And they talked dirty and hit little kids and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain. They even set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken down tool house. The tool house burned right down to the ground. And I think that surprised even the Herdmans. They set fire to things all the time. But that was the first time they managed to burn down a whole building. I guess it was an accident. I don't suppose they woke up that morning and said to one another, Hey, let's go burn down Fred Shoemaker's tool house. Well, well, maybe they did. After all, it was Saturday. Nothing else was going on. That's all you get. It's a great story for children and adults. It captures the gospel message, the Advent, in a very creative way. If you've not read it, buy it and read it. It's worth it. You see what I'm saying? Traditions are built to propel us forward and deepen our faith. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you have children. It doesn't matter if your children are grown. It doesn't matter. Traditions are there for a reason. Not to shield you from the faith, but to energize that hope within you that the Lord is real and He's coming back for us. Create a tradition that builds hope. One more thing. Our uh, elders and our staff every year, we like to give you a gift. We write a devotion for all of Advent from the first Sunday, which is next Sunday, through Christmas Day. And we email them out to you every morning. So when you wake up, you just have a short devotion um, in your email inbox. I ask them for 200 words. Occasionally I get 1,000 and I have to edit it down. So uh, to, to make it easily readable. If you would like to receive those and you didn't get them last year, there's a sign up on the Welcome Center. Just put your email down and uh, we promise to sell it. I mean, we promise to use it to, to develop this tradition. Every day you get something in your inbox from one of our elders or staff just talk, reflecting on Christmas and the Advent season. Okay? So it's a good time of the year. It's a great time of the year to really build that sense of hope of who Christ is. Father, we are so grateful for your deep love for us. We are so grateful for your wonderful, wonderful, uh, always gracious, sacrificial, loving movement into our lives to teach us about you, the one true God. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.